This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we run a bit long, but for good reason. We've got Ryan Lalonde and Cameron McNeil, both partners from MLA Canada. This was, the well, the room was hot. There, there, there were some shirts they were, off They it. were in the hot seat. For a while there, there was, it was like, a, it looked like a some kind of a hot, what would you call it? Sauna? A hot house? A hot house, that's. <laughs> It, it a bathhouse? For a while, it looked like a bathhouse. It looked like uh, it looked like the sauna on what, Hastings. So what happened? That's what I've been. I don't know. Uh, what happened? What happened was uh, I don't think the air conditioning was on in the office. No, uh, our our studio's upstairs, yeah. so uh, heat rises as you're so, as you're well aware. Uh, it's a small confined space. There's five five uh, people five, in here. Five four, adults. Four on the mics. Five adults. Yeah, five adults, a lot of heat emanating, and they brought coffees. And they brought coffees, and a few people in the room had just finished their morning workouts. Right. Ryan right. Lalonde uh, and myself. Right. Could, be, was a, could it, be a body double for Ryan say, Lalonde. Yeah, you were a stunt double. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Lalonde's was about seven hours. Yours was about seven minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, seven minute abs. But yeah, it was, it was pretty sweaty in here. We actually had to take a break at one point. It, at one point, Ryan Lalonde had shoes off Socks off, shirt off, and he was still, still running hot. And he was still making crazy uh, predictions that uh, what you not said crazy. No, no, but, but really bold, bold, bold. bold is there's the a lot of bold uh, predictions that both Cameron and Ryan make today. And I think you said afterwards, like it's you know if you're looking to pull headlines from an episode. This one is like, and there's another headline, and there's another headline, yeah. there's another headline. I got to click click that, double down on that idea, double down on that prediction. I, I love talking to these guys because there's always a ton of takeaways. There is, I'm going back after this goes live. I very seldom do I go back into these episodes, but I'm going back for what uh, Cameron McNeil goes on like a three to five minute, not rant. Uh, there's a segment discourse, Cameron McNeil, a discourse, a discourse where it's like, after he said it, I was like, man, I don't think I've ever heard that put, put together so well. And I, I got to find what it is. I can't even, I just remember thinking it like I'm going to go and So I'm, watch for that. So yeah, so wa- watch for that. But, watch uh, for Cameron talking. But uh, <laughs> yeah, every line he says could be it. Uh, but no, lots of smart things said on today's show. Absolutely. Uh, before we get to that, and it is a long one, so we should cut to it pretty quick here. We do have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, where all things real estate related live, especially the highly sought after sold plan. Matt, I got to say, this sold plan, I get these like more vibrations in my pocket from sold plan downloads. I, I can't believe it. It's, uh, it's truly- Would you say we uh, struck a nerve? You know, I think here's the thing. We this, found the gap. Well, the and, everyone, and how I used to explain it, nobody understood what I was saying. So here, this is an easier way to say it. It's a step-by-step document that we've put together selling hundreds of homes in, in the lower mainland about how to get your property ready for market. It's a good evergreen 
type of document that you may want today, you may want it a year from now, you may want it five years from now. But the point is, is it's a pretty good step-by-step overview of everything that we've learned in our businesses to, to sell homes quickly and for top dollar. Is that is that a concise? I would say so. And the way to get it is you go to sell with us on VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Instant click download. There, instant download. Hot commodity. Very hot commodity. No charge. Speaking of hot commodities, yeah. maybe we should cut to our talk with uh, Ryan Lalonde and Cameron McNeil from MLA. Yeah, some really hot takes uh, with this one as well. Um, and that was just on camera. <laughs> All right, everyone. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Marcon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Ryan Lalonde and Cameron McNeil, partners at MLA Canada and past guests. Welcome uh, back to the show, guys. You guys have been, this has got to be fourth or fifth time, I think, on the show, right? You guys are just co-hosts now. I mean, that's that's the least that you do in the real estate market is co-host our show. But. <laughs> well, on the fifth one, you get a mug. So yeah. uh, I'm, yeah. feeling, uh, I'm feeling pretty, pretty in tune here. I think this is our first, though, with uh, the big screen. Yeah. Yeah. Is it? Uh, it is. I feel I'm, like it. I feel like. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. We're recording this. No, no. Everybody just listens to us. It must be our faces. <laughs> but I think it's. Uh, <laughs> or the uh, guests. It's probably more like. Uh, yeah. We don't, we don't have big numbers on, on YouTube. But, uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, and thanks for coming down. And, and you guys were gracious enough to bring uh, donuts. Donuts and beer and coffee. Which, which one time, that's one of my favorite Ryan Lalonde stories, but you brought donuts another time and you went, uh, here you go, guys. And I said, are you going to have one? And you said, I don't eat that shit. <laughs> but, but, but one look at us suggested we did. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time. Uh, can you start by maybe telling our listeners a little bit about yourselves? Uh, sure, you bet. Uh Ryan and I are uh, founders of uh, MLA Canada. Been doing uh, this work for a long time, uh, 30 years, been doing uh, advisory, marketing, sales, and then services for the real estate development uh, community. And uh, was a licensed realtor for most of those 30 years. I'm, I'm no longer licensed uh, in the last few years, but uh, been active in the real estate world. Uh, Growing up in Vancouver, love it here. I love the outdoors. Kids are 22 and 20. And uh, 
we're a close family and, and, uh, and really, uh, they're the, the reason why I'm working hard and enjoying living here in our backyard. Nailed it. I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I think you can clip in a few of the things from the last podcast. <laughs> no, uh, not, not too dissimilar. I've been practicing real estate my entire life in my entire working career, that is. And uh, just love it, right? We live in this incredible city. Uh, real estate is one of the key industries of the city, it feels like, and uh, gives us a lot of luxuries in terms of variety in the day, right? How we are able to lean into shaping the communities that we're part of. I think the other piece is, is that it's very much a family business, right? That's what we practice. That's our, our ethos within the organization. And um, I think it's something that both Cam and I, as you can tell it in Cam's voice, and I hope in mine from the previous podcast, we do love what we do. And so it's, uh, it's always a privilege to be talking some shop here with you boys and getting caught up and then also sharing a bit of perspective. Yeah, right on. Well, maybe we'll start, we'll start broad. You guys operate extensively throughout the lower mainland in the pre-sale market. How is the market? And we are, we're May 30th right now. So we're, we're still, yeah, this time stamping it, but the spring market is, I guess we're, we're coming to the end. How, how, how's the market? The market is surprisingly strong. Uh, we have offices uh, in Langley and the Okanagan as well. And going into the fall of last year, I was expecting to have a slow uh, period of time. I was expecting 2023 to be a, a slow market. And we seem to continue to defy most of the economists. We seem to be uh, decoupled from uh, a lot of the uh, international and, and, and broader uh, economic indicators out there. And our market is surprisingly strong. It's constrained on supply. We've got 20-year record low new listings, as you know. Uh, all the immigration numbers are pointing in the right direction. And I think our consumers are used to the fact that um, they're not going to see a, a mortgage rate with a one in front of it for a long time, and they're showing up and buying real estate. And so we are seeing a market that is much more active than I would have guessed six months ago. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would, I'd absolutely get behind that. I think, I think it's a surprise in terms of how strong the market is in the early part of this year. I recall six months ago, the conversation uh, that was centered in most of our boardrooms was, let's look forward to Q3 of next year and prepare for that. Right. January happened, some some improvements, but Chinese New Year really lit up in February in the pre-sale marketplace. Uh, and that was followed by a really active resale marketplace in March. You guys know the numbers better than anybody at Zonda on here recently, just doing a great job of of talking market stats. But I think, you know, resale numbers last month, 2,700 transactions. This month looks like it's trending towards 3,200. Those are those are pretty big months. You can't compare them to the highs of where we were in some of the, the best marketplaces that Vancouver's had in the last 20 years. But I think when you look at them relative to some of the static, that's a really good outcome. And then pre-sale just continues to pump. So just it just really does feel like Tom Cruise is feeling the jet right now because everything is coming to life in every marketplace. And that's a really great time for us because I think you're going to see a lot of inventory find its way into the marketplace. I think a lot of home buyers are going to have more selection tomorrow than they have right now. Okay, great. Well, I, I'm curious to hear like who... So it sounds like it's across the board busy, but are there product types who are the buyers right now and where are they buying because i feel like the trends are not necessarily what we were expecting either yeah who's buying so right now it's so geographically focused for us right and so who's showing up and buying coquitlam right now is very very different than who's leading the way for us in the fraser valley and so it's project specific and i, I you know you have so many home buyers that i think sat on the sidelines for the most part from may of last year onward 
right? Nervous about what was happening with interest rates, really being impacted from headlines. Uh, many of them have started to think about what a transaction could look like in September, October, November. For those that jumped and probably hit what might have been the trough of the marketplace, they're probably doing quite well. You saw resale stats this year. They're up about five and a half points from the beginning of the year. That's a, that's a really good outcome for values. Those that didn't jump in, I think, are, are trying to find now that it's not so easy. A lot of competition for listings, right? A lot of multiple offers that are happening in different marketplaces. On the, piece, on the pre-sale front, which is where we spend a lot of our time, there's a wide range of appetite from almost every single buyer group, right? So whether it's locals, whether there's some foreign investment, um, certainly uh, downsizers and upsizers and family formation. And so it's nice because it's a healthy, strong market right now because it's drawn from so many different demographics. And so I can't say in any of our towers uh, or any of our wood frame projects that it's any one. It's, it's performance across a wide range. And is pre-sale mirroring the resale market or is it lagging or where are we at with most of the pre-sale projects? Well, you guys, I'm going to plug the black book right now that came out uh, last quarter. And obviously we want to make sure that uh, any of your subscribers have access to that. And so we'll share those links uh, following the episode. But I think the black book um, by MLA does a really good job of summarizing this. We, we, we saw ba- roughly speaking about 50% of all the inventory that was released in Q1 in pre-sale absorbed, right? So it's sold. And the majority of those home buyers were, were searching for pre-sale, I think, um, either because they had waited throughout most of last year before they made a purchase. And as they came into the marketplace, they just unfortunately couldn't find the inventory in resale. And I think that a lot of our pre-sale purchasers are making that transition into pre-sale because it's so competitive on listings. You know, listings are massively down. They're at well under 10-year averages. And that's really creating demand for pre-sale as an opportunity um, in new communities that, that are expected to be built out over the next two to three years. Interesting. So there is that, well, we were talking about the correlation between the two markets and how in different moments it seems like they're highly correlated, sometimes not so much. Right now, it's def- it sounds like it's an inventory issue where people potentially are thinking about resale and they're basically frustrated enough that they move to to the new construction market. I'm going to try to cover the uh, the question on on who's buying and transition into that, you, you know, absolutely agree with Ryan. And to add, the majority of the real estate that is being consumed right now is serving a need for a household, whether it be an investor buying with that in mind. So it's serving a, a need for a tenant or uh, people looking for a home for themselves. And uh, where the piece that is lagging a little bit might be in that very aspirational real estate or, or you know, the pied de terre or that speculative real estate or, or that international buyer that's just trying to get some chips into the, in the market. That, right. that market is, is quiet right now. So um, some of the real high-end side of the market is, is languishing the broader market. The broader market, which provides housing stock for people that need housing, which is being driven by all the incredible population growth that we have, whether it be you know, uh, uh, not only immigration, but often forgotten about is uh, international foreign students as well. That number's way up. You know, there's just real housing required. And so we are seeing broad housing consumption, both in the resale and the pre-sale markets. And of course, we specialize in the pre-sale markets, but we're seeing it very broadly for people that just absolutely need a roof over their head, simply put. And the investors are active in the market now too, because they realize that this is a really un- undersupplied uh, housing type as well. Uh, obviously pushing up uh, rental rates and making some of the investment choices seem more plausible as well. So uh, going back six months, a lot of the market knew that was ha- uh, coming, but they were waiting and watching, making sure that another you know, shoe wasn't going to drop economically. And now that the world keeps spinning, the market is showing up in a big way. Now, um, 
you know, to answer your question about those two markets sometimes uh, being highly correlated to, to each other and sometimes not, right now we are seeing them highly correlated and people mm-hmm. simply just don't have choice. And so when they're being, when they're not finding uh, solutions in the resale market, they're turning to pre-sale or they're realizing that pre-sale provides um, a great option to either give them a uh, location uh, or, or uh, choice that's simply not available in the pre-sale market today. You know, you look at any one of the markets, you guys know the resale market really well. You know, you can count sometimes on your hand how many showings you can actually go look at for a, for a, for a particular customer and, and meeting their needs. So sellers and vendors are, 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 are sitting on their real estate. They're not releasing that into the market right now. And uh, as a result, people are turning to pre-sale. And, and thinking about that lack of inventory. So, and I think, Ryan, you, you said this earlier, but, you know, the demand is there we can expect more homes moving forward, right? There's, I guess, basically another way to put that is developers are going to move forward on projects that they might've been hitting pause on for a while. Uh, So the demand is actually creating more inventory on the pre-sale side. Do I have that right? Are you expecting a lot more uh, starts or launches, I guess I should say? And, And secondly, and I don't know if you have a comment, but I'm just curious to hear, is there... Is the demand that we're seeing in the on the resale side, is there a potential to kind of break the log jam for for more inventory on that side? Because it seems like there's two different two different motivations there. Well, I'll start this one. Um, our industry over the last 18 months ha- has done a pretty good job at self-regulating. They simply cannot bring a project to market unless it makes sense economically to do so. And as many of your listeners uh, are, are aware, construction costs uh, have really risen in the last uh, few years. Uh, land costs are, are locked in. Historical land costs, interest rates um, are, are stubbornly sticky right now, and and these projects only make sense at a certain value. And until the market showed a level that could support those projects, those part those projects sat on the sidelines and waited. And now we're starting to see the market uh, improve, uh, giving developers more confidence that uh, they can s- achieve the sales volumes that they need to start construction. Uh, or the values they need to make their performance work. But the prices haven't you know, drastically moved up. They moved up slightly, but they haven't drastically moved up. And so the industry will not see a tidal wave of launches coming into the market, but we are still below historical uh, amounts of, of new homes being offered into the market. But this fall, it should get closer to normal. Ryan and I are, are predicting and, and our advisory group is predicting. But again, we don't see it as a tidal wave. We see it more of a return to historical norms as as the the values and the absorptions to support these projects in a way that makes sense. Maybe one way to put it into perspective is the number that I already shared, 1,700 units released into the marketplace in Q1. It is very possible for the market when we're more active, when developers have a better sense of costs and have more appropriate land, um, uh, land to revenue ratios. And you know they're not staring down the shotgun of, of a low return on cost environment, they could bring 1,100 to 1,500 doors in the market in one month, right? And we were traditionally seeing that. And so we're certainly seeing constraints on supply right now. And as confidence returns through price escalation, which is going to be the outcome of the, the incredible sales ratios that most marketplaces are, are reporting over the last 60 days, right. upward pressure, price escalation. And with that, I think comes confidence from development partners to be able to put more doors into the market because they feel like they can come out of these projects in the black. And I think that that's what Ken's speaking about right now. With a low a low return on cost environment uh, like today, it's hard to make those bets unless you're really certain you can achieve your pre-sale test 
and then hopefully hold on to the very end of the program in a better potentially rate environment that justifies a higher price point that actually allows you for, to transition from a red to a black color on your performance. I just want to move on to, we, we've covered a lot of the bigger trends that are going on right now in the market. Um, and we've talked a lot in previous shows uh, about inventory, but we've also been asking this question of a lot of people lately. We got 20 year lows across Canada for inventory right now. It, it seems it, with buyers, it's as, as Cameron was suggesting, it's nearly impossible, right? You go out, you, you can maybe see a couple places. They've all got multiple offers. What's your take on the inventory question? Like, why are we experiencing this, this incredibly low inventory? And what is it actually going to take for, for things to change? My take is, is that we have anywhere from 35 to 75% appreciation in most home values over the last three to four years, depending on when, where, and what market. And that's a lot of equity. And when the market is down, you've recently transitioned. I think that you have the ability to ride out almost anything that the market's thrown at you right now from the perspective of, of rising inflation, cost of living, maybe even unemployment. Uh, although employment numbers are still fairly sharp today, right? Near record lows. Mm -hmm. And so with all that equity, there's just a lot of confidence. And if you're not in a position where you feel like you need to sell, maybe under the previous high, I think you hold. And I think they use the equity to justify it. And until we are back to more traditional values that may be close to those highs, I, I think that most Canadians, most British Columbians that might be backwards on purchase price today are choosing to say, before I make that next shift, I'm going to hold. And I think as soon as we, we go through the next 20, 40, 18 months, I think that you'll begin to see an, uh, an unraveling of that perspective. And I believe that you'll see more listings find their way onto the marketplace. Anything to add? <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, I, you know, I, I keep looking at the interest rates and a lot of Canadians are on variable rates uh, compared to other uh, markets outside of Canada. And um, we also have a lot of people that are still on fixed terms that are low rates. And so when those rates start to renew, people are going to, I think, be, be maybe taking advantage of, of the fact that they do have equity in their home. But I do believe that we're not going to see this massive uh, uh, downturn as a result of that stress. I mean, that is that is that will be stressful for many households, but I believe that the demand exceeds that. And so the, I think that we're going to find that that as those homes find them, their way back into the market, um, whether some are selling with, with that stress, I won't call it distress, but just say, you know, the, the, that they're, you know, maybe extended uh, beyond their comfort level. Uh, I think that there's going to be uh, more than enough demand to be able to consume that in the marketplace and really smooth out any downward pricing pressure. As far as uh, our advisory group and, and Ryan and our personal opinion, almost all the forces are in an upward traje uh, trajectory right now when it comes to the forces of value. And um, uh, that's what gives us confidence that we're going to see a lot of pre-sale projects coming into market in the future, whether they're happening in Q4 of this year, Q1, Q2 of next year. We're just going to see more projects being able to be coming into the market. Construction costs, although they've been a variable that that brings uh, a risk and uncertainty to the development community. It seems to have stabilized, but it's not coming off. It is also sticky, and a lot of that's tied to to uh, uh, materials from from uh, overseas, but also uh, labor rates. You know, we're just not seeing construction prices come down, so development community can't sell anything any cheaper. And I think this is a broken record for Ryan and I, and you could probably hear me repeat it on every one of your past podcasts, but. Uh, but uh, developers will not bring real estate into this market any more cheaply than it's being offered right now today. A consumer cannot buy a presale any less than it's being offered right now because the development community cannot afford to bring it to market. Mm -hmm. So there's no such thing as let's just wait and get a deal. You know, it's just not going to happen. So 
um, we're we're bouncing on a floor, and we're, it's a matter of time as to when when we're going to see liftoff. And already we're starting to see liftoff, but I just mean in more broader cycle terms. We we uh, we had this debate a few days ago, a few of us uh, at, in this office about if approval and process permit processing times could be could be increased dramatically. You know the promises that we get at the municipal level or the provincial level. Do you think we could actually get prices down for for developers? Do you think that could impact pre-sale prices? That's a that's, that's a philosophical question. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. Um, and, a, and maybe the deeper question is: Is do we want it to happen? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think so much of part of the process is making sure like, when you take a step back from Vancouver, I just want to circle back on that last that, where Cam was wrapping there, and maybe another way to think about it is: I think what you were saying is. Um, Vancouverites are really optimistic about what the real estate landscape looks like over the next three to four years. And they're willing to forgo selling less than they think that future value is today and waiting it out. And I think that that's, that's a pretty exciting place for Vancouver to be in. And I think it's the reason why a lot of people are choosing to jump into the market because they believe that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then com- coming back to the question, like, should we, if we could uh, adjust those timelines? Something that that is really interesting about the city is that, uh, and I think that what we love about it is we do such a good job of building communities, right? And that does take time. And I know it's so easy to push on everybody um, in every which direction in terms of what it could be like if it was different. I think the the downside is is what if we get it wrong? And I think one of the biggest opportunities that Vancouver has over this current cycle and the future um, is going to be making sure that we get it right. And so I'm not sure what processes allow us to get it right and which ones we should undo to expedite. But, you know, ultimately, we're still dealing with so much immigration coming into the city. And it's going to have a positive upward impact on Vancouver real estate. And it's going to positively impact a lot of secondary markets that wrap around energy centers. And I think that that's that's an exciting place for us to be. And so I I think we spend less time talking about what would because I think it's going to be really difficult. You hear Ken Sims speak, though, and you can't not get excited about what he what his intentions are for the for the coming years for Vancouver. And you know, if you can achieve half of what he's looking to do, I think that that's a really great place for all all Vancouverites. Yeah, I was just going to add, like, uh, just because you can produce a product a little bit cheaper doesn't mean you're going to pass those savings on to consumers. Sure. So, so really, it's about you know what's what's a consumer prepared to pay, um, and can can the development community deliver that or not? But what it will do is a little create a lot more stability. But right now we have is this real yo-yo real estate market that we've we've all witnessed for the last 30 years. And we are all craving some stability. Consumers and developers, when we have a much more stable market, can enter that market with confidence. Developers can uh, accept lower margins. Um, and we'll really start seeing more of a sustainable long-term situation. I think that's much healthier for the housing consumer as well as the, as well as the development and, and all the related industries uh, to the development uh, community. And so um, I don't really believe we're going to see prices come off. And that's a, that's a if, big if, if we are able to tackle some of these massive uh, uh, inefficiencies and encumbrances on the municipal uh, and provincial side. But I think what we can provide is this is a steady flow of housing um, that's going to meet the needs of, of, of the housing consumer. That's both the tenant and the, and the homeowner. And, uh, and that would be a very healthy thing for our market and a big step forward just improving things for the housing consumer. Mm -hmm. Just thinking, you know, you mentioned Chinese New Year uh, at the start as like a, as a time when, and I recall that too, just from 
you know, getting the emails or whatever. It was like, that was a big, suddenly everybody's banging out or a lot of pre-sale projects were doing a lot of, a lot of volume. And, and there was some incentives based around that. Right. I remember last time you guys were on Ryan, you saying there's going to be incentives. This is a great opportunity to buy. This was, and it was almost a year ago or a year ago. Are we still, is there still those opportunities today or is since that Chinese New Year kind of takeoff, are a lot of those opportunities, I mean, it's always a good time to buy, we'll preface that, but <laughs> it, it, are, those, are those opportunities that you were talking about then still around? Uh, Cam touched on it with regards to, you know, development partners are only, are only going to bring inventory into the marketplace um, if it makes sense. And so many of the developers that have initial offerings flowing into the market right now, what you'll what they'll tell you is that much of the first parts, the early parts of these pre-sale launches are below replacement cost, right? And they're relying on upward pressure and price through consistent demand over the next 24 months to be able to make back and put these programs back in a more viable position long-term. And so from that perspective, yes, absolutely. The incentive structures and that pre-sale test threshold discount is evident in most programs right now throughout the marketplace as they launch. And as soon as an appropriate amount of risk is removed in early parts of those programs, what you're seeing is rapid price escalation. And so first 25 to 50% of buildings, especially if they have scale to them, typically are selling what we would think is below market value. And, and I think that you can expect that environment for, for some time. And that's being paired with really strong incentives, right? Both to home buyers and to outside agent uh, community to make sure that they have the critical mass that they need in order to achieve those financing tests. I, yeah, and I'm going to add, we, uh, our advisory group uh, recently studied the, uh, the past cycles to, to see what, uh, what lessons we could learn from that. Of course, you can't point to you know, uh, an exact correlation, but there's a real strong statistical correlation that simply shows that, I'm talking values, not absorptions, um, but the values in every cycle, 2008, 12, 17, um, they decline uh, to a certain point, but they don't sit at the bottom for a long period of time. They turn the corner quite quickly. And on the recovery, it's roughly the same period of time from the from the height to the to the to the trough as it is back to the height. And so, you know, that's uh, on the fastest fastest cycle that I think is ten to twelve months. Some of those are, are two year cycles. But but if you just think about that for a moment, the trough is behind us right now in the rearview mirror. We're not we're not in it. It's behind us. That the the absolute best values in the market were probably Q four of last year, right up to Chinese New Year. Then the market started to get momentum and it started to change. And Ryan and I and our team. Um, know the direction the values are going. We 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 we, we interact with enough consumers and and enough of the development community that going into the fall, prices are going to be higher than they are today. And and so you know those that listen to this uh, uh, podcast um, on May thirtieth, you know maybe take us up on our prediction that uh, in six months from now, values will be higher than they are today. And so you know we're all we're always trying to just time it right, just time it perfect, time it perfect. But as as we always say, you know, real estate is a long game, and we should be thinking five seven years out not not quarter over quarter or you know watching it like we do a hockey game so so you know if there's a good time to buy and you can handle the the interest rates and the affordability and you, you feel that the interest rates are are going to be roughly where they are today for for stable future they may come off you know 50 basis points left or right if you can at least um, uh, swallow the affordability I think today, today is a great time to buy long term is market confidence uh, in your opinion at an all-time high right now like i'm just i'm just thinking about the last 10 10 years and uh the it used to be like the achilles heel was well if the interest rates change yeah 
Well, I, I would say that the the uh, the answer is no. Uh, when consumer housing consumer confidence is at an all time high, usually that's a precursor to the hitting the top of a curve and coming down the other right, side. Yeah. You know, I would say it's the opposite. I would say that we're we're building confidence again, and and uh, some people see it, and other people are 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 hesitant, or they may listen to this and say we're all crazy here. But but the reality is is that we are seeing now uh, ourselves climbing out of a out of uh, was a trough uh, in. You know, ever the interest rates were, trig- were triggered it, right? So the, the market had run hot. Interest rate uh, increase with the Fed started increase to try to get a handle on our inflation. That really c- certainly triggered the slowdown. Uh, and then it's been slowing down from about March to March, roughly 10 to 12 months of a slowdown. And now that trough has turned and we're headed the other and, way. And I'm just realizing I shouldn't have framed it as market confidence maybe, but I, I guess the, the question, confidence. my confidence, <laughs> the, the question really is like, I, I just think about all the conversations we've had over the years. Yeah. And the 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 bullets for, for the for, last decade. For the last been, decade, it's been in, our interest rates have been so low. Just wait till they go up, right? And it's that's like, been, and then it's like the 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 declines were what six eight months, and you're like, wait, that's that's yeah. It. I, listen, I, I just uh, on the way here, I, uh, I talked I, on the way here. I I, I called Ryan. Uh, I just had a coffee with I won't mention names, but one of the big ten developers, one of the big ten developers um, who we're friendly with, and we were in just, Canada. Uh, well, yeah, certainly, certainly Western, <laughs> certainly Western Canada. And, um, uh, you know, and, and the conversation was really around economics and, and, you know, the conversation was, was, you know, Canada, Canada and Vancouver, they're not in a bubble, you know, so, so f- capital can flow, in, you know, anywhere in the world. And, and it's really a, a game of relativity. And so, you know, interest rates are high in UK, they're high in the US, and of course, they're high here. And and what it's really about is, do we believe that Canadian, let's call it Vancouver, greater Vancouver real estate is going to perform relatively well to all those other possibilities of where we're going to park our capital over the next, you know, decade. Plus, we all have a need to put a roof over our heads. You combine those kind of two forces and you realize that, you know, despite the fact that interest rates are higher, um, that we're going to perform very well on a global scale, on a global stage. And, um, you know, even though we have our own woes here in our country, our relative value or perceived value globally hasn't declined at all, you know, despite all the efforts of our federal government. So I think that uh, I think that we can be confident that we're going to continue to see um, that capital flow into real estate into our into our prime areas. And we always talk about Vancouver being blue chip real estate. And that's exactly what we talk about on an international scale. Vancouver is a place where people want to park money. And it used to be people would park there and and see that investment more passively. But now it's a it's an act, it's an active investment that suits a real need for people to have housing. Yeah, you're right. It's is is my confidence at an all time high. That was the question. So, uh, <laughs> why is my confidence <laughs> right. at an all time high? But I mean, I think that was cl- I I because we've been talking about that a lot, right? I feel like well, it, it's interesting, right? I, I just feel like there's been a lot of things thrown at the market, and the market is just like right now is is kind of testament to the activity that's going on, right? I I I kind of equate it to my my grandmother who. When bananas stopped uh, being under a certain price point, she literally just stopped buying bananas, right? Just said, it's too expensive. I remember when they were five cents. And and it does feel when you get to a certain, you have a certain level of experience in the marketplace. I recall when stuff downtown was selling at 350 bucks a square foot, right? And and today it's it's much more expensive than that. And it's hard to imagine how people can afford it. And yet so many new buyers come into this market every single year, right? from all around the world, and they have no relevant perspective, right? They haven't been following this market for the last decade, and they certainly haven't been experienced in the way that we have. And so I think you have to factor in that there's so much 
uh, new demand that's that's finding its way into Vancouver and into the Fraser Valley. And as a result of that, they're just looking at and seeing so much of what we take for granted, right? You look at the amenities, you look at the infrastructure, um, our lifestyle, uh, I think our culture, they, they feel all of that and they're very bullish on where values are going to go long-term. And I think that that's what's so exciting. And it's also really important that we get it right in terms of how we build out. Maybe the, you know, I think I kind of asked this before, but it, it does sound, you know, the idea of who's buying presale right now, like it does sound uh, like, like you're dealing with, is it, is there, so investors are back, right? Are you seeing foreign investors? Are you seeing, is it new immigrants or PRs or like, because it does sound like there's, you're talking a lot about uh, a different perspective. It's not people that, you know, I'm, I've been here 15 years type thing. It's, it's people that are relatively new to Vancouver is a, is a huge component of that buyer pool. You know, uh, what, what the data is difficult to get right because there's also a lot of anxiety with how you share the information about yourself. Sure. Uh, we do our best to collect it, and the data throughout programs shifts, and we're certainly familiar with that. Uh, less than less than ten percent, I would say, would be foreign investment, right? Uh, the major the majority of our purchases are being driven by those that have that have uh, or searching for a sense of community that currently reside in Vancouver uh, and that have family and friends that have lived uh, within the neighborhoods that they're choosing to live in, right? And, and then out of that, uh, you have significant amount of, of upsizers, right? That are just looking for space. Sometimes it's their first purchase, transition from a rental into, into their first purchase. And other times it's a growing family with needs. Um, and I think that that probably represents about 75 to 85% of all of our transactions. Um, and then it, of course, it's just product dependent in, in terms of the neighborhood and, and the type of projects that we're a part of. But for some of the programs that would be more rural that, for example, where we have something really exciting that's coming uh, to the Okanagan, uh, Penticton. This is my hometown. Uh, it's an interesting offering. It'll be large format, right? So townhouses, lakefront, something really, really special. That's a very different buyer type, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so you can imagine less around family formation, more about family downsizing, more about recreational property with, with family legacy that'll be built into it. And, and that community will just draw a completely different part of the marketplace. And I think that what people are expecting is, is that we're at this difficult moment for rec property, do they expect it to be at a discount? And I think that programs like that, that are waterfront, that are truly thinking about, you know, I think it's probably will be one of the top five waterfront offerings that'll come out uh, in the next few years. An offering like that um, is not going to be constrained by the marketplace. I think that there's other offerings, though, where you're just going to see, you know, just consistent, um, consistent all about like, how do you consistently deliver value to the to, to a wide range? And I think the programs that Cam and I have, have been speaking about the most, whenever we're working on something, the entire team is just thinking, how do you maximize utility right now? And, and if it's on transit, how do you make it as small as you can right now to still fit within the budgets of those home buyers? And I know that that's we're, we're kind of wandering off the path of, of, of who's buying, but so much of our effort right now is trying to understand how do, you, how do you just appeal in each complex that we're a part of? How do you appeal to the widest number of buyer groups? It's not just going to be driven towards this small segment. Right, we're looking at anywhere from five to ten different buyer profiles, and making mm-hmm. sure that we have product for all of them. I just want to, you know, you've triggered a few uh, thoughts for myself there, Ryan. I, I'm just acknowledging the fact that the dynamic of 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 our growth of our city has has evolved a lot in the last mm-hmm. five years, and, and accelerated heavily through through the pandemic. And and we are really seeing now the um, you know, th- these were always uh, uh, in planning and at various stages but we're now really seeing Surrey City Center North Road Coquitlam Burnaby really emerging as these secondary downtowns and 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 
not even, they shouldn't even use the word secondary, but primary downtowns where people are living, working, recreating all within their same area. They used to be bedroom communities to, towards the West. And, you know, it, so, you know, as a result, we're seeing that these projects appeal to consumers that want to stay and live within those communities. And when I say consumers, I use that broadly. It means tenants too. So if an investor buys a piece of real estate, a tenant's eventually going to occupy that piece of real estate. So it's the same, uh, this, the same uh, statement applies to, to both user types. But um, the city is really evolving in an exciting way that's healthy for the city. You know, planners are smart. They're putting it by, you know, transit and, and commercial nodes. And, and um, we're seeing that amazing growth. And so uh, Ryan's absolutely right. The vast majority of the market is not being driven by international buyers. Um, there are there's international capital flowing here where, sure. you know, PRs come or, or, or international students come and they're being supported by their parents. But the intention is to buy housing long term and to have that housing occupied, not have empty homes, darkness at night. So um, uh, it's it seems like a very healthy market being broadly consumed by a broad group of customers. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. So in, in thinking of uh, this year and, and kind of the, the busy last couple of months, I'm kind of curious, what are the most popular uh, areas or projects that you've had? And, and maybe actually framing this another way, if I said, hey, here's a tower, where would you put it if you wanted to sell it right now and sell it quick? I like, I like the way you're framing that one. Yeah. <laughs> you hit a tower. It's funny what we're talking about this morning. Yeah, exactly. Well, I would, uh, I would pick one of the uh, commodity markets, and that's not a negative word. That's the middle of the bell curve. So that would be Coquitlam, Brentwood, Metrotown, Surrey City Center, and I would put it within a three-block radius of transit. 
And that's going to get you your widest uh, consumer base. Investors like access to transit because tenants uh, often don't have a vehicle, and that's an important uh, piece. But uh, but I think that would be the easiest way to have a highly consumable product. But I also want to be careful in that it doesn't make projects that are off transit less special. It just means they're differentiated. You know, mm-hmm. they're you know so you know a, t- a tower is one form of housing. We have many many mm-hmm. forms of, forms of housing um, throughout uh, throughout Greater Metro Vancouver, and so you know we're thinking about Everything from from uh, low density townhome, uh, four story frame, six story frame, mid rise, right up to high rise, and all of those uh, projects have uh, incredible nuances and in what makes them work and not work, and locational considerations, and and we call it the target market. You know who who are who's going to be these consumers that are 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 uh, uh, most logically going to be wanting to uh, purchase real estate in this space, and then we create real estate to satisfy the needs of that particular buyer, and so. It's a long-winded way to answer your simple question about where you put a tower today, but uh, but uh, really, it, it it it's it's a complex uh, city environment, and there's housing opportunities throughout the entire throughout the entire uh, region. Do, do you have a <laughs> do you have a specific um, SkyTrain stop that you're kind of most excited about? I like North. I like North Road. Um, I think that there's a lot of housing uh, that's being created up and down North Road corridor. Uh, so that's not a stop, but that's a that's sure. a that's a fairly new branch in in our SkyTrain network. And uh, and I think that is uh, uh, really seeing a lot of exciting uh, urban development. Uh, and then I'll I'll say that uh, you know Surrey City Center, of course, is the end of the line right now, but it's going to be extended. And so what that does into Langley is going to be quite fascinating to see uh, how how urban growth continues to move now past Surrey City Center and move further east. That's only a uh, a logical next next uh, chess move in the in the urban growth over the next you know couple decades. Oh. Uh- I think the Langley component is a really interesting one. We, as you guys know, we have a, an operating office out there and we have a partner, Brittany Reimer, who oversees that office for us. Uh, she'd be one of the leaders in that marketplace when it comes to pre-sale and multifamily. And it's been really incredible to watch that neighborhood and that part of the lower mainland just come alive, right? Values have just pushed so much and there's so much space out there that it provides such a wide range, right? You now have towers um, that are just around the corner and you have, you know, six-story wood frame, four-story wood frame, certainly have townhomes and that community is just coming alive because of it. A lot of friends and family members that that we have within the business and, and within our lives have searched and found, you know, maybe a place to raise their children out in that part of the world. And that was not maybe top of their lists five, six years ago. I think if I could put a tower anywhere, though, like that, the, the smart-ass comment would be right on my single-family lot. <laughs> uh, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> talk to Ken about that. Um, but I, I would probably, you know, push towards West Coquitlam as well. I think that's a part of the world that, uh, especially in Metro, that we've we've sold a lot of homes in. I think that we've arguably sold some of the most number of, of pre-sale properties in, in West Coquitlam and Coquitlam. Uh, what we like about it is access to everything, right? It's not just transit, it's mm-hmm. nature, it's lifestyle, it's everything, affordability. Um, we're, we're just in the process of launching Como, as you guys are very aware. Uh, that's by Strand, really incredible offering. Strand's been in that community operating for some time now. They've done a great job with the Oaks, fantastic job with Alina. Uh, and what's been really interesting for, for the work that we've done there for them with Alina is that the way that the community is supported is something that really stands out. And our developers that are, are really active in different geographies. A lot of them are thinking the same way that Strand thinks every single day, which is just how do you deliver value, right? How do we create more value for the customer? And how do we create more value for uh, for our home buyers to make sure that 
whatever it looks like to live in that community, uh, whatever we're promising on the sales floor is actually going to be delivered in finished product. I think the other part that I would think about is, is just like, where is the affordability spectrum these days, right? And where can you get space? And I think you got to think secondary markets as well, right? Mm-hmm. So what's happening on the island, what's happening in the interior, this immigration push is going to be a, a, a huge driver, I think, of those communities. And my best guess is, is that we're going to overreach on immigration. I think we're going to so surpass the number of targets that they're, they're pursuing. And as that happens, it just puts a lot of strain on energy centers. They deliver doors. They're going to fall short. And those residences are going to look for communities outside of the lower mainland. And I think that's an exciting place too. Secondary markets in BC. That was my next question. Yeah. Well, Ryan spoke about uh, 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 Penticton. Uh, Penticton already. Um, I was going to say Pemberton, so I caught myself there. Pen, uh, Penticton, but hey, anything to in Pemberton, Squamish, yeah. <laughs> uh, Nanaimo. Uh, uh, Ryan mentioned Victoria. Uh, Kelowna is obviously a, a really important growing center as well. And these are not just uh, uh, you know, retirement downsizers. These are these are growing communities, uh, uh, growing uh, uh, employment bases, and uh, great places for for people to raise a family. And so um, Ryan's absolutely right. As as we see immigration, immigration tends to go into our major. Ryan used the word energy centers. That's our word for like the big major cities, uh, the big obvious places where immigration wants to flow towards. And uh, that will be having uh, enough pressure where people uh, will consider other other locations to, to call housing. And and they're not pressured to leave. You know, they, they make these these lifestyle decisions to move to these great centers and uh, and uh, end up really embracing that and having a, a terrific next chapter. So we've seen it uh, in our involvement in secondary centers. It's been uh, great to see. What do you, what do you think is uh, more more upward pressure on price though? Can I get a guess? Would you go the island or the interior? Uh, gosh, uh, that's tricky. I think more upward pressure in the interior. I think, the um, interior. but uh, mm. but really, I would look at every municipality in uh, uh, uniquely and and those that have an ability to unlock supply and those that do not. And and you know, you look at. Uh, the whole Okanagan Valley it really struggles with with unlocking supply, uh, probably because there's there's an appetite for people to have, you know, access to to what makes those communities special. That's that's access to the lake, whether it be a view or walkability or something like that, and and that's just really limited. And then um, you go to some of the larger centers like Victoria or Nanaimo, they may have a little bit more elbow room for growth. And when you have a little bit more elbow room, that that seems to moderate. Price escalation a little bit better, but uh, but I think those are incredibly healthy markets. If I was a, a young person thinking about moving out of Vancouver, I'd definitely be looking at Vancouver Island uh, as well. You know what? Maybe we should put that. So okay, the interior. I don't know if you agree, but Cameron's saying the interior over the island. Are you saying like South South Okanagan or, or just all of the interior? I think the whole valley. I think uh, Kelowna is going to see incredible pressure in the next five years, as well as some of the more uh, retirement or resort orientated locations in the valley right. as well. Hmm. So, okay, we got, we got the interior, we got the island. Maybe let's throw in Vancouver or the like greater Vancouver into that from pricing today, three years from now, <laughs> five years from now, where, where do you see the, the most appreciation? Predictions. You're looking for a forecast on that. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking, yeah. Tell, tell me what to buy. Yeah, every time I'm on this show, I get in so much shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's brave. <laughs> yeah. I think I think usually on predictions if we go back, we're on the low side though. So uh I don't know. Should test that. So at the very beginning of this year, we hosted a uh a panel, a forum, and and at the very beginning of the year, uh Cameron and I were having a conversation before we jumped on that panel and and our share was, you know, you can expect 
that we will see double digit gains in property or in property values this year. And at the time it was believed that that was absolutely not a possibility. And it was believed by many. I think the way that I would think about it today is, is from, you know, Q3 of last year to Q3 of next year. I think it's very likely that you're going to witness something between 15 and 22% price appreciation. Right? That's so from, from the, the bottom of the trough, right? Or from thereabouts. The, from, from the trough to where we are by this time next year. Uh, plus a couple of months, right? So Q3 2022 to Q3 2024. When you forecast the levels of appreciation we've already seen this year, and you think about what's ahead over maybe the next 18 months. And another way to think about that is, and we have talked about this a lot in our boardrooms with our development partners. Uh, it's our belief that in the next five years, some of the strongest marketplaces that we're going to experience, depending on the geography, will be experienced in the next 18 months. Right. So if you're looking, if you're, if you're a developer, you can expect on um, upward price appreciation. I think that you have to rely on that because as we shared earlier, many development partners are selling below replacement costs today just to get in the ground. Constructions are expected to trend one way. Interest rates are expected to hold and immigration is expected to increase. Mm-hmm. Right. And so all of those levers are going in the wrong way if we're trying to make homes more affordable. And so unless we're going to dramatically impact those, which I don't think we have the ability to do, I think that you're going to expect, you know, some some really strong tailwinds in terms of price and demand in our marketplace. And so you're saying the the big gains over the next five years, though, are in the next 18 months. I think you're going to see in the next 18 months. I think we've seen about 5% so far this year from where we were at the end of last year. And I think the expectation is that's going to continue. Yeah, and depending which market, because some markets are back and even performing they're, they're reaching new peaks. That's right. Some are. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, on the whole, you, if you, you know, so far this year, price appreciations, you know, uh, apartments haven't performed as well as townhouses and single families. Mm-hmm. You guys have been tracking and you shared that uh, a few episodes ago. And I think that that's really interesting uh, because in the past, typically those have been some of the earliest to react. Right. And they were also some of the most heavily influenced by the previous market. So I think that in those cases, I think that they're still finding their place. And I think that you can expect a lot a lot of shift in price over the next 18 months in those. And I think single family probably has an early head start. But my guess is that the more affordable properties are going to catch up to them. That's in apartments and in townhouses over the, the next 18. And so if I understand, if a developer is coming to you right now saying, let's blow this out, you're saying, pump the brakes. Like it's, it, it, I mean, time well, every, is money, but yeah, every developer has different, uh, uh, objectives, risk tolerances, uh, capital partners, right. uh, interest rate clock ticking on their land loans. And right. there's a lot of other factors, you know, land banking is a difficult thing to do. So if a, if a, if a development makes sense, um, it, it's not a, a hard and fast recommendation. It's much more of a, of a, of a consultation around, this is where we think prices are going to be this fall. This is where we think prices are going to be next spring. And, and uh, really charting with them what is the best way to navigate the market over the next 12 mm-hmm. to 24 months. And projects take a long time. You know, we're, we're planning projects today that are not going to be able to be in market for sale for 18 to 24 months from now. And so you're trying your best to make sure that you're creating highly consumable product, meaning like it's highly desirable in the marketplace by a wide audience. And you're trying to predict when that's going to be coming to market, what the values are going to be, and uh, making sure you're differentiated and you stand out from from the from the pack and from the others. Um, but knowing that there's always going to be uh, competition choice for consumers. And, um, and, and so really, it is much more about, uh, uh, you know, 
it's much more complex than just trying to say, hey, you know, the, the prices are, are going to be low this fall, so let's just sit tight and be patient and let's wait. That might be part of the conversation, but that's just one aspect one of a very complicated conversation. I, I, I'm just curious, too, about it might be surprising for somebody out there who's saying, okay, we've, we just went through this, you know, market on steroids or we, not we just, but we've, that was a year and year and a bit ago, I guess, uh, that ended. But now we're seeing, we're going to see upward pressure from now through the next year, year and a half, and then it's going to slow down. What's the, is, or why the slowdown in a year, year and a half? Like what, how, how did you get to those, that kind of, that prediction? I was just going to say, or maybe you're not saying there's a slowdown. There's, there's the next, but it'll be a lot of upward right? pressure, yeah. and then maybe moving to a more balanced market. I guess. So we, we've we've spoken about this a few times on uh, the MLA pre-sale pulse, and our expectation is, and and we're only following what what we come to learn from BOC and and other forecasters, specifically economists, and most are believing that we'll see some pressure relief in interest rates over time. Likely it's a little bit longer than what any of us had thought maybe a year ago. Mm -hmm. And so from our expectation, we'll see recovery happen at relatively the same rate um, as the compression. Cameron spoke about that and our MLA advisor team has evaluated that fairly closely. And mm -hmm. I think the data on that is, is fairly telling. And so our belief is that we'll rise out of it in somewhat of a similar curve and timeline as what we rose in what we fell into it in. And that takes us potentially forward 12 months. And then from that perspective, we're sitting with the expectation that interest rates will continue to potentially be relieved. Uh, we'll see variables and fixed rate mortgages adjust. We'll see renewals. That should set new price affordability levels. And that probably at that point is determined a more, a more static marketplace, right? Mm -hmm. Something that's a little bit more consistent. Um, the challenging part with the Vancouver real estate market and, and the, the Toronto real estate market is that it's very rarely flat right? It is always moving in a direction, right? Right, And that direction is, is not even yeah. keeled. And so I think, you know, our perspective is we feel like we have a strong marketplace for the foreseeable future. We think that that's 12 to 18 months. And what, what you know, Susanna Gonzalez and others have talked about on the pre-sale Pulse, Brittany Reimer, a fair amount as well, is it does feel like the market cycles are shorter. It feels like they're a little bit more volatile because of the influence of headlines, social, right? The connectedness of the world today, it feels like these shifts happen much quicker than they did in the past. And as a result of that, we should expect a little more volatility through it. And so Cameron's crystal ball only goes 18 months out and then it shuts off. And I think, <laughs> I think so far he's nailed it in the past two to three. My, reactors. My, my view on real estate is kind of like Warren Buffett buying stocks. Like, like you, you just buy quality assets and you think long-term and it's really difficult, I think, for us to try to time 18 months. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, if you bought a bunch of stock and it goes down 10%, do you, do you, do you freak out or do you just be really grateful that you're owning this great stock? And, and, and even if you wanted to move, you have a, a growing family or you, one day you're going to downsize. If you're going to stay in home ownership, then it's all relative. So the whole market comes down or the whole market goes up. You can take advantage of that relativity. And of course, uh, uh, you know, t a timing that, you know, th those moves might, 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 might impact someone's, uh, uh, equity, but nevertheless, uh, you know, if you're going to be a long-term home owner, you want to be a long in long-term home ownership. You know, Mike, when when I'm giving advice to somebody, I say, you know, can you afford this for seven years? Can you afford a mortgage payment for seven years if you locked in it today? And uh, you know, if that's the case, buy with confidence. 
and, uh, you know, maybe off a little bit, you know, left or right. I, I, certainly this conversation is really about the short to medium term and not the long term, mm-hmm. but really it's the long term backdrop that that is is driving us. I can't remember I said this at the last uh, podcast. And I apologize for redundancy if I did. But, um, you know, Greater Metro Vancouver, or, or our province, I should say, is going to grow by about 200,000 people in the next three years. 200,000 people. There's less than 200,000 people living in the city of Burnaby. Every single, single family, apartment, townhouse, tower, business, road, hospital, school, park needs to be built to satisfy our growth in this province in three years. It is an impossibility, even if all 17 mayors get their shit together and, and, all, and all decide to prove every project they got in their book, we cannot deliver that housing as an industry. We keep talking about this, but nobody, even politicians, seem to really grasp the, the idea that we are massively behind the eight ball mm-hmm. on our ability to deliver housing and all services to our growing Canadian population. And that's only gonna do one thing, and that is continue to drive values. And until our city starts to decline to the point where people are saying, I don't want to live in Vancouver, I want to go live in Seattle, or I want to go live in Winnipeg. Until that happens, Vancouver's values are going to continue to drive forward. And, and you know, my prediction is that our planners and politicians and, and real estate industry and professionals in all of our spaces are going to do a pretty good job, despite the challenges, of navigating our city forward relative to other cities. As a result, we're going to maintain these incredible values and, and uh, credible pressure. And uh, so I just feel that, or I know in my heart, I won't say I feel or I won't say I think, I'll be much more decisive that I know in my heart that in 10 years from now, we're going to continue to be an incredible place to live and our values are going to be much higher than they are today. Another way to think about it is 12 to 15% of Canada's entire population will have been added somewhere between 2020 and 2030. It's Mm -hmm. a lot of real estate to service that many residents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So immigration is the huge driver. We're up in 10 years. But in the next 18 months, between 15 and 22%. <laughs> I'm always the conservative one. And Ryan tends to get it right because uh, uh, I, th- I think uh, I'm, uh, I'm maybe overly conservative. But uh, I should take the over on that. And I finally get it right one of these times with you, Ryan. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, here's it's the other thing. That's a, that's a broad comment, too. There's going to be some, you know, some markets where during the height of the, during the, you know, when you get to the top of a peak, there seems to be some irrational activity out there, mm-hmm. irrational buying behavior, irrational uh, developments uh, coming to market. And, you know, we could dissect every single one of those, but the broader market, the, you know, I always talk about kind of the thick part of the bell curve. Um, I agree with Ryan. We're going to see some, some strong pressure in the next 18 months. I think, I think we tag in a show, right? Let's do it. November 15th, yeah. 2024. <laughs> yeah. Somebody write this number down. <laughs> 15 yeah. to 22%. Let's do it. You, heard, you heard it here. You heard tell it here you, first. Tell you what, if I'm right, you guys are filming that that, that show shirts off. <laughs> Holy, this might <laughs> really speed up your uh, yeah, fitness journey, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Going for a run after this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Okay, so we've got, we've got some predictions. Any other headlines our listeners can take away? Uh, headlines moving forward. I got, I got a couple for you if you want them. All right, we'll yeah, take them. Yeah. So I think there, there's this whole live work and where this goes. I think there's a period of time where we thought, you know, maybe the pendulum was way out and yeah. it's going to come way back in. I think that our, certainly my mindset's shifting a little bit on that. I feel like that's the, we've been, we've, we've been, been talking, talking about, about that, that a lot. Yeah. And I, I think maybe the, the link that we want to follow it against is probably the unemployment rate. Right. And as long as we're around record lows of unemployment, I think that you should expect a pretty competitive environment. And I think as long as that's the case, I think office space is going to suffer. Mm -hmm. 
um, as a result of it. Uh, the other one that, that I'm thinking about right now is a uh, new pre-sale wood frame apartment, right? So we're talking four-story, six-story. Can you jump in here? I'm probably on my own on this one. I think that we're about to witness some of the last offerings that we'll see in some time for any of those price per square foot being under $850 a square foot in the lower mainland. I don't think that we're going to see pre-sale offerings of wood frame in that form under that price threshold again. And I think you're going to see something similar for tall concrete. I think under a thousand bucks a square foot is probably not going to happen. I'm seeing it's impossible to deliver. Yeah. And that's going to be both in Metro Vancouver, the Fraser Valley. And I think you're also going to see those numbers, minimum numbers in secondary markets. Doesn't matter if it's Abbotsford or if it's Penticton. I think it's going to be tough to deliver. Mm. Um, and so you have to think about what that does for affordability and all that immigration over the next seven years. So that's something that's, that's, that we're talking a little bit about in the boardroom. And then I think maybe one of the, uh, one of the other opportunities is just thinking about some of the local markets and where they're going price per square foot. I was talking with our advisory team yesterday. We had a good round table. That's something that Cameron, Susanna, myself, Brad, and some of the leaders in our department speak to. It's, it's really a blue sky session and it's hard to fathom this, but you know, Metro town going to 1600 bucks a square foot. And there's a strong belief that that could happen in the next 18 months. And if it does happen, that's higher than some of the peak of what Concord hit in their master plans. And that's small format concrete, of course, but you think about that, that's actually higher than the price point of what Canby Street Corridor six stories selling for mm -hmm, these days, right. right? And that's a pretty interesting offering. And the same thing is Surrey going to, to 1250 or 1300 bucks a square foot. And, uh, and which one would you bet on reaching those thresholds faster right now? Between Metrotown and Surrey? Yeah. That's tough. I mean, I, yeah, I would, I would bet on Metrotown, I think. 15% bump. It's probably about 1275 right now, 1250, 1275 for new, new pre-sale. Surrey is just, a, I, it, I find it so hard I, to wrap my, my head around Surrey. I feel like that's been the surprising market this year yeah. still. The real only differentiator is the land, you know, delivering the real estate costs, the, you know, costs roughly the same. Um, so, you know, the, the land is the only differential and, and, uh, and then uh, there's, Burnaby has uh, uh, more fees than Surrey, development fees. Um, but you balance for all of that and, and uh, you're going to probably see a fairly similar proportionate increase between those two markets. Hmm. That's wild. Um, uh, my prediction is the liberal government, federal liberal government, will, uh, will be forced under political pressure and popularity contest to reduce the uh, immigration quotas before they enter the next election. And uh, I don't think that's going to show up in any way that's going to affect our market, but uh, it's just an interesting little headline that, mm. that I predict. Um, it's interesting how uh, all of our politicians are chasing boats and not chasing the, the, the best interests of this country. And, uh, and nevertheless, uh, you know, those, those uh, uh, growth forces are already afoot, as we kept talking about. Uh, you know, and, and over the next seven years, we're going to see another down cycle at some point. You know, we're not going to just be in this uh, upward trajectory. As Ryan said, you know, we're never flat. I like, like how you said that, Ryan, we're either going, uh, you know, one way or the other, but the, uh, the long-term force is clearly in that upward trajectory, so. Yo-yo on a treadmill. Oh, actually an escalator. An escalator. The treadmill will be, uh, that would be just that a flat, flat market. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, treadmill on, uh, on, yeah. on eight incline. Yeah, 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 yeah. A steady, a steady uh, incline, but no, it's, it's not like or that. Or decline, isn't that what you do your run on? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, well, maybe we'll leave it there, but we, uh, we do have this segment called the five wire, uh, five lighthearted, quick questions to end the show. Can you stick around for that? The five wire is brought to you by Scalina real estate. Hey, 
That sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. I, just, I celebrate so, this every year. Yeah, thank you. This is the only reason I came. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll we'll go. We'll are, go. Are, can't. They, are they the same as last time? Yeah. Or are they new? Uh, we uh, we so. might we might throw another uh, <laughs> might throw a curveball at you. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Keep these hidden. Question number one is uh, a book you've read recently because that's always changing. Uh, we'll start with you, Cam. The Golden Spruce. I'm reading it right now, Audible. Um, and this is about the history of Haida Gwaii and the Queen Charlotte Islands and the Haida Nation. And I'm reading it right now, and it's absolutely fascinating. It reads like fiction. And I'm reading it right now because my daughter is on a fourth-year university program in Haida Gwaii. I'm actually going to go visit her this weekend. And so it's, uh, it's just absolutely fascinating, the history of that part of the world. And oh, a lot a of people one. don't, don't uh, uh, hear about that, uh, that part of our history in our province. Very cool. Don't don't hear that type of recommendation very often. That's very cool. Uh, um, I'm laughing a little bit because I think the book that I've, I've actually read the most recently is uh, it's the books of Renly, which is my daughter, my other three year, or sorry, oh. six year old. <laughs> we're, we're deep in the, in the storytelling, right? oh. dragons and wizards. Oh, it's it. uh, it's the best. Yeah, it's the best. Um, one that's come to mind though that I did dust recently was uh, the Big Leap. And it, it's a book that's just focused on, you know, what are the things that just fill your cup that make you excited to wake up and excited to go to sleep and get after the day? That's been, that's been, you know, a departure from some of the other books. Oh. Yeah. Nice. It's a great one. All right. In the last few years, and this is a good one for you guys because I do feel I like you're, you're the yeah, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you're always Im, you're improving, right? You're always there's uh, there's something about you guys. I always feel like you're you're always moving the ball forward. Uh, what is a new belief, behavior, or habit that has most improved your life? Oh, a new belief, behavior, behavior, or habit, habit, habit. And I think you were the first to celebrate atomic habits on our show. Uh, yeah. I, I recall back. flagging yeah. that one. Yeah. Did you guys read it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A couple Changed times. Changed Adam's yeah. life. Yeah. Game changer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm going to stick with, it's It's not new. I've been doing them for about two, two and a half years. I love cold plunging. Right. Wow. Like just getting in cold every single morning. It just hits hard. And uh, and I love the way it feels. How do you do it? Do you do Do you have one of those like the... We have a plunge. Yeah. Like So plunge. you have a, a tub in your backyard? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Something a little bit yeah, different than that, but for the most part, standing body of cold water, doesn't matter what it is, could be a shower, could be, could be the lake, whatever you need, but just just get in it. So morning. you wake up and do that? Yeah, I do. Like that's the first thing you'll... Like, yeah. Every, every day. Every day. Every day. He runs hot though. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. You can see that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit easier for Ryan than it is for the rest of us. Uh, no, but that that's incredible. So, and what, if you had to say like one thing it does for you, like what, what is it? How does it, is it like a mental thing or is it, does your body feel better? Or what's the thing? I mean, this, the science behind it is, is there. So, you know, I'll let, I'll let others 
do a better job telling that story. <laughs> but yeah. but I, I like it because it's just really fucking hard to do. Yeah. Right? Every single morning you jump in, it's hard. It's hard. It's like start your day with the hardest thing, which is getting into below zero water. Yeah, that's all you need, right? And 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 you get out and you already know that probably the worst thing you're going to do today was probably 15 seconds ago. Yeah. Right? I was going to say, yeah, because I can wake up, have a cup of coffee and sort of meander through an hour and a half of like, Wasting time, <laughs> walking around, yeah. staring at do plants. the whole day. Yeah. You just yeah. do the whole day, <laughs> right back in bed. <laughs> but you shared with you shared with me, Ryan, the science. Like you don't wake up and flail yourself, right? So, so you've shared with me. <laughs> you know, that this? sucked. Now everything's going to be good from this point forward. <laughs> what do you mean you know, flail yourself? <laughs> just, just, whip, just whip your back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, you know, you you've shared with me the science. The physical science is is quite quite fascinating. But I'm a uh, you know, unless the water's 70 degrees plus, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I avoid, if, if my coffee gets too cold, I need a, a warm up. Yeah. You need a uh, heater. <laughs> um, uh, gosh, uh, for me, uh, I tore my Achilles uh, uh, four months ago. And so I think about my habits is just kind of about my, my headspace and my recovery and, and doing my daily exercises. And I could have done a much better job, but I'm I'm doing great and it's a long, slow recovery and I'm doing great. And so I think it's kind of just been uh, a lot related to that. Ryan hears me complain about, about my limping around and I was in crutches for most, most of three months. And How did so, that happen? Uh, I was playing tennis with my ski buddies. I wish I had a better story. Yeah. You know, and uh, we're all kind of lousy tennis players. And one of my opponents did a drop shot and I lunged for it and I heard it go. Too competitive. I heard it go. And I was like, uh-oh. And oh, I knew yeah. instantaneously what had happened. And anyways. The key sense. is addressing it quickly, right? Because that can actually dry up. And uh, I've heard horror stories not, about the... Not playing tennis. Just, <laughs> just, just <laughs> The key is not doing it in not, the first place. Don't do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry to hear that. That's horrible. Fast recovery, though. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm doing, I, the doctor, I like to pat myself on the back about, you know, I'm a super healer, but the doctor just says, no, you're doing everything right. So just nice. You're actually doing yeah. what they told you to do. Exactly. I feel like, I, and maybe it's just getting older, but I, I know some people have recovered very quickly from a few things and a few people that haven't. And it seems like there's, there's a clear correlation yeah. between, yeah. do you go to physio? Do you do what the physio tells you to do? That type of thing. Yeah. And if you do, you, yeah. you're good. So it's not a very exciting uh, answer to your question, but just. Building those rhythms in, into my life last four months have been uh, pretty important to get me back to where I'm in today. What, what Cam doesn't realize, I've been sprinkling stem cells in his coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, fountain of youth. <laughs> Here's another evergreen. Uh, what have you been binge watching lately or a favorite movie recommendation? Oh, gosh. Uh, we don't have time to watch a movie. Uh, so uh, we kind of like jump around for a couple series um we've liked ted lasso i thought that's been pretty pretty awesome uh, so my wife and i've been watching that and uh my son started watching this new one silo i haven't heard of that uh, apple tv series kind of sci-fi and uh he came home and made us watch the first one i kind of got hooked so now we're uh now we're sort of one season into silo it's pretty good <laughs> right on. yeah my i'm i'm similar ted lasso all day i'm caught up on that one and uh F one. I just I just can't oh, get enough yeah. of it, man. It's neither of you guys are watching Succession or ended Succession. Yeah, yeah. I heard it just wrapped. Yeah, no, just, no. I, I figure when I get through this last ones, that's the one I got to oh, do next. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Eh? It's good. Yeah, it's, what, yeah. 
what is, what's the it's, what's the premise? What's it about? It's literally it's almost like a, a Rupert Murdoch story. It's like a legacy media company where the old man's dying and he's got three kids and they're all vying for to take over the company. And it's like the the ultra wealthy, you know, the backdrops like Lake Como. Oh it's, yeah, it's okay. pretty incredible. It's, it's pretty great. The writing's incredible. HBO. <laughs> Thank you for ruining my weekend. <laughs> yeah. Nice. nice. <laughs> Favorite band or music? You know what I'm, I, I, my favorite thing to listen to right now, <laughs> again, it's my daughters. Uh, they are all over, all over Backstreet Boys right now, right? That's For, funny. My, my daughter's a lot older than yours, I think, but, uh, or a couple years older, but it's amazing how the Backstreet Boys is like, it's like, they'll remember it as like the a soundtrack to their childhood. It's a thing right now. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually really digging that because my daughters are performing it every single night. <laughs> Ash jumps in as well. She's on the mic. Wow. Just, uh, that's awesome. It's, this it's, is news to me. It's a good time. Yeah, no, my, it never really stopped for you. Who, yeah, yeah. who introduced it to who? That's what uh, I want. Oh, yeah, it was me. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to go anything old school rock, though. You know, just anything from Spring Street to Aerosmith. I just love it. Right on. Nice. It's amazing how the, how our, our families and kids influence uh, everything in our lives. Uh, so my my two kids, twenty two and twenty, are in a heavy metal band, and uh, my together. Yep, and my son's my daughter sings, and my son plays guitar, and he's an incredible guitarist. And all I hear is just him wailing on his guitar. And so, you know, I didn't grow up loving it, but now it's uh, you know Guns and Roses, ACDC, Iron Maiden, you know, all the stuff that uh, no that kidding, you, you know, wow. I grew up just sounded like like screaming and wailing and all of a sudden like oh i you know i, I get the the nuances of of the music and you know and, and uh he's really taught me to uh appreciate uh, a lot of that music which i didn't appreciate growing up so it was pretty fun man uh sounds like you've got some pretty cool kids pro skier and in a heavy metal band. <laughs> <laughs> and lock lock looks the the part too right he's six so yeah, six something, six something. Yeah, yeah. Incredible, <laughs> incredible hair. Yeah. Right, just tall dude, and I can just picture him ripping. Yeah, yeah, good. Right on. Uh, last but not least, uh, something that you have purchased for under fifteen hundred dollars that's had a positive impact on your life recently. You used to say a thousand. You 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 put some inflation, 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 inflation. Put some, yeah. put some inflation in there. Oh man, uh, let's change my life, Ryan. Can you think of something? I'm at a loss right now. Fifteen hundred bones. This is a time of austerity, you know, so, <laughs> um, well, for me, it was probably my knee scooter because of my Achilles tendon. Right. So, so, you know, that was a $200 purchase. So I could scoot around on, on my knee scooter. Um, that was a game changer for a bit. I don't know. I can't think of something that's really changed my life for, for that. Yeah. I'm kind of at a loss for words on this one, guys. Oh, well, then we wrap it there. Yeah. <laughs> How can people find out what you guys are doing over at MLA? And of course, you got the pre-sale pulse, you got the black book, you got tons of intelligence coming out. Uh, how can people keep on top of things? Yeah, let's let's get some links out. Yes. Yeah. Okay, we'll get some links. Um, well, a few things that we're putting out a lot. So Newswire, you guys are following this. This is a yeah. daily roundup. All the articles that's trending in our space. It's an easy way, an executive summary, if you will. Right. Every single morning it's in your inbox. That's an easy one. Make sure you subscribe to that. On the monthly, we're putting out our resale stats. We're also placing the pre-sale pulse, right? You guys, uh, that's a YouTube yeah, channel yeah. that's absolutely focused all about pre-sale and an update on what's happened in the last 30 days in various markets, talking projects, data, and we touch on resale with some trending topics in there. And then, of course, the Black Book, which you guys have also mentioned. And that's a quarterly roundup, right, of everything that's happened in the market over the previous quarter. I think all of that, we're very happy to share with your subscribers. So excited to get that into their inboxes. 
a lot of those documents, a lot of that data, it's coming both from you know aggregation within various sources of the marketplace. We have some incredible partners like Zonda and others that are supporting us with that capacity. Mm-hmm. And it's also coming from our sales floors, right? And so we take the expertise on our sales sites. We try to get really a, a clear understanding about who's buying, what they're interested in, the value that they're searching for. And then we try to bring that forward and allow the rest of the marketplace to understand it. And I think, you know, for us, what we'd love to do is, is think about how can we partner with you and your subscribers more to make sure that that information is there. And it's just the starting point. So if any of your subscribers are looking for more information, tell them to drop us a line. We're very, very happy to do whatever we can to help them understand the market a little bit deeper. Awesome. Well, we'll leave it there. And uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time and uh, coming back down coming to the back studio. Coming back to the hot seat. Thank Boys. you so much, guys. Yeah, Enjoy really appreciate here. it. Thanks, guys. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Ryan Lalonde and Cameron McNeil, partners at MLA Canada. If you're not fired up after that conversation, there was a lot of unexpected predictions there. I, I, I feel like I those were those were some pretty bold neck out predictions. I'm going, like I said at the beginning of the show, I don't do this very often, but I'm going back and listening right through that again and and maybe with a pen and a pad. But this is uh this is really, I feel like these guys get it right a lot. Really thoughtful deep analysis. And uh, it's also, I feel like there's something about operating in the market the way, you know, MLA Canada does and having like the, like the long career, long careers that Ryan and Cameron have both had where they can feel the market in this way that you just, you know, you just can't do if you're in an ivory tower or wherever you just, you know, I always feel like as much as I love the economists that we have on the program, we have some really bright people that can can really understand the market. There's something about feeling the market and operating in it that I think if you're a good economist, you're speaking to people all the time and saying, "What are you seeing out there? What are you seeing out there?" Of course, there? yeah. Trying to tap into that, but when you when you're like a, a Cameron McNeil or a Ryan Lalonde, at some point, it's just you just feel it in your in your bones. Well, and and they're and they're selling homes across the Lower Mainland and beyond. Every day, day right. in, day out, they're getting the data. Who's coming through? What is the feedback? Yeah. How are we pricing things? They're in a constant feedback loop as well as super experienced. So you combine those two things together and you got one hot commodity. You know, it's also funny. I guarantee that one of us starts cold plunging this year now because of Ryan. Lamar's and I, you know what? Away. I guarantee it probably is you. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to cold. Pl- I, I, I tried to take a cold shower the other day. Oh, really? Yeah. See, yeah. I, I can't even swim in the middle of summer. No, it was actually, uh, it didn't go very well. <laughs> I turned it like, it got, it got like lukewarm, lukewarm and, and you're I was like yeah, screaming. Uh, anyways, that, he's, uh, he, get your the hardest thing of your day done though in the morning. That's good. Uh, Two good and a half years too. It's not like you started that last week. That's streaks. You know, last week you talked about the streaks right. app. We, Ryan Lalonde's a big proponent of the streaks app. The thing about the streaks app that is so good is that if you get a streaks going for like 30 days, right? You don't want to break it. Yeah. You don't want it to go back to one. No, it's it's, it's got like, a, it's like its own it's propels itself forward almost. Totally. I got one own... at like 27 or something and I'm like, man, I I don't want to break this. And I'm trying now I'm strategically trying to make sure I'm like how am I going to fit that in? Right. Cuz I don't want to miss it one day. And this is having a beer, right? <laughs> <laughs> Punching a burger in my face. That was a streak <laughs> oh. I never expected. <laughs> How am I going to fit this one in? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> not even hungry. Yeah. <laughs> in one bite. Yeah, anyways. No, but that's, that's uh, it was a good conversation with those guys. And then we had another 45 minutes after after we turned off the mics. Yeah. It was equally compelling. But yeah. 
Um, for sure. Anyways, what else we got, Matt? What else we do we have? Day? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate related live. We've talked about it a lot, but it's worth saying it's a brand new site where you can search and establish things you're interested in and just find episodes related to investing, planning, pre pre-construction, development, the economy, you Choose name your own it. adventure. Choose your own adventure over there. A lot of the content's evergreen, so it's very useful to go back and listen. That's at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We have the Live Wire. This is our weekly mailer where we're sending out episodes, but deal of the month, we got VIP presale access to a bunch of presales across the lower mainland. We also have stats before anyone else, different types of stats. And of course, tried and true private client services. Yeah, Matt, if you are not using PCS to search for real estate in Vancouver, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. You just click buy with us and you can set up your own free account. I got to say, this is the market to be using PCS. You want to be getting those sold prices. You want to be seeing in real time what stuff is selling for. You want to be alerted first so you can be the first person to call on the property or first person to see it. That's how you create opportunities in this market. And if you listen to the show, you know that. Matt, what else do we got? What Anything else? else? Or we, should uh, people get in touch with I'll you? I'll tell you what. They can get in touch with me at any point, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And we got that Kokomo line, of course, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Well, have a great week, guys. We're back with another fantastic episode next week. And uh, in the meantime, take care. Two thousand spaces for radio. Subscribe today.